0: Welcome back, my friend. I see you return to us once more. A part of me must, I'm afraid, question your commitment. Is, is this really how you intend to spend half an hour of your valuable time wallowing in misery and poor taste? Is your life not worth more? Uh, apparently not. Well then, uh, please, relax. Attune yourself. And remember, keep repeating, it's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. Does it. Does it feel like that was a weirdly long experience for anyone else? Or, or, or is that just me? They're talking
1: about how it felt to hear Vlad recount his sexual misadventures with his cousin and Big Bursa. No, it's not just you.
0: No, no, not that. Um, I. Uh, I'm not sure what I mean. There's something. I don't know. Something's wrong.
2: I think I know what you mean. It feels. It feels like there was a great big pause since we last spoke. Like almost a whole day has gone by. Also, no time at all. Shirley, did you notice anything? Time works differently for ghosts, my dear. I'm afraid
3: I haven't felt the slightest iota of temporal oddness. Hmm.
2: Vlad?
0: Sorry, what were you saying? I was thinking about Brunhilda.
1: Stop! My turn to veto. What
0: about your Aunt Pauline? Hmm? I thought you were all about grossing her out.
1: Even I have standards. I
0: still can't shake the feeling that something's not right. As it shouldn't be. We are creatures of the night. If things were all right, we'd be doing something wrong.
3: I'm sure it's nothing to worry about, my dears. Okay, Cheryl. If you say so. No. Now. Who's up for continuing our little fictional escapade? I do believe it's in fact my turn. Time to offer a riposte to the disgraceful disturbia we were all so unfortunate as to bear witness to earlier. If you're
1: talking about me, okay, I want it remembered that I ended my story with little kids electrocuting a zombie via bear trap. Now, I didn't have to do that, but I did. For the people.
3: Intellectually stimulating as that climax was, you only turned to it after we objected to child murder. Oh,
1: this again? Who cares? It's not like I killed any actual kids. And even if I did, don't pretend you've never met a single brat who you didn't think could do with a little bit of violent murder. Just to improve the attitude, you know? Every one of us has at one point or another wanted to punch a toddler in the face. We don't do it, but the urge is there.
2: That's fair. Yep, guilty. No
1: comment. Come on, Cheryl. You of all people must be able to sympathize with the idea of youths youth being irritated.
2: Not
3: to the
1: point. Then what is?
3: You know, I'm being a staggering hypocrite.
1: Ooh, I'm dreaming. Um, uh, Vlad, could you promise to pay for all my drinks for the rest of forever? Excuse me?
3: You're not dreaming, Wolfgang. I'm just... Reassessing my statements. It's not that I object to child murder in my stories. For goodness sake, I've been bringing up The Shining all evening.
1: In fairness, that's actually
0: about us. Hush, buffoon.
3: It's a question of what this whole exercise is for. Why we turn to tales of the devilish and the macabre, what we hope to gain from them. In In general, I think that in any life or afterlife, we are faced with the unalterable reality that our questions exceed our answers. And from this, fiction springs. Whatever its original purpose, to explain away the mountains or the thunder, it grew very quickly into something else altogether. Human beings and, considering present company, their associates need stories to fill that great emotional well inside us with the spring water of experience. We tell stories and we listen to them for a great many reasons to learn, to feel loved, to be inspired, to be amused, and sometimes to be scared. My real objection to your story, Wolfgang, was that I wasn't scared. I was merely shocked. Thank you? True fear confronts the primal assumptions of the universe. It interrupts the first mover, and as a result, it is a cleansing experience. It allows for the release, the exorcism of anxieties. Even if, in the aftershocks of a horror movie, as one walks from the theater to one's parked car and keeps looking behind one for some nameless terror, that cleansing isn't immediately apparent. People aren't killed at summer camps by axe-wielding spirits, Wolfgang. Not generally, anyway. But shall I tell you what is generally applicable? What? Me.
1: Excuse me?
3: Ghosts are protean, my dear Wolfgang. They mean a thousand different things to a billion different people every day, but they always mean something. They're always there. And they're always key to that true fear I was alluding to. No, Wolfgang. I don't object to the violence. At least I shouldn't. Have your fun. But I do believe that violence can mean more. It can build something great, something rapturous, something truly terrifying.
0: Shirley, my dear girl. What on earth are you talking about?
3: Hmm? Oh dear, yes. I have rather been monologuing, haven't I? Do forgive me, a terrible habit. Was there a
1: point, point to any of that? Or do I just not get to get those two minutes of my life back?
3: Of course there was a point, you impudent dullard. And it is thus, even without our presence, even without any supernatural presence whatsoever, the fact remains that every single living person on this planet is deeply, profoundly haunted. By what? Let me show you.
2: I come back to this beach a lot. I like to stand here barefoot and try to grip the sand between my toes. It's almost always cold and pallid, and well, that's part of the attraction. I've been to tropical beaches, I've walked on what the tourist brochures refer to as sun-baked sands, and, oh, well, I'd be lying if I said I couldn't understand any of the appeal whatsoever. It's just never felt real to me. Now, perhaps that's just a question of familiarity. I, I grew up in Norfolk, after all. My beaches were never sun-baked. But I think... I do think there's something else to these shorelines. I think... I'm not sure, but the hot sand has always felt to me like something you accept because you're thankful for the things around it. The sea, the sun. Well, this ground, something you can dig into. Dad always... He always loved his little archaeology trips out here. I remember that one summer he found a bone flute with a Latin inscription. Oh, he was very proud. It's always been like that. The sensation that if you just... Stuck your fingers into the ground here. There was no telling what they'd end up touching, what you could dig up. Maybe that's why this is where I, uh... Oh, fuck, I'm late. Uh, end audio diary for the morning, May 29th, 2019. We'll resume this afternoon. This is Kate. Catherine Aronson, Kate to her friends, has,
3: since she was a child, been certain of two things. The first is that she loved words... She loved letting them tumble out of her dictaphone, a device she has obsessively kept on her person since she was seven years old. She has, by the way, also refused her entire life long to swap those miniaturised cassettes for something entirely electronic, explaining this eccentricity away by remarking, I like to touch my words. She also loves words in an altogether more professional capacity. Ever since she first encountered parenthetical remarks in the words of C.S. Lewis,
2: she's known she wants to be a writer. It was the first time I felt like someone was talking to me just through a page. As soon as I realised that was something someone did, putting words together, I, there was never anything else. Today, she works as a crime reporter for the East
3: Anglian Daily Times. The hours are hard, but on the other hand, the pay is pretty bad.
2: But I get paid for my words. My words. That matters. That matters. And I'm confident it's only a matter of time before I stumble across my in-cold blood. Have you seen how true crime podcasts are doing these days? The public's appetite is vast.
3: The other thing Catherine has always been certain of is rather more simple, but no less important. Catherine has known, since late childhood at least, that she was a girl.
2: Not that the world around me seemed to agree, but fuck them. I was right, they were wrong. And today, I am wearing the heels to prove it. Oh wait, no... No, I'm not. Uh, wrong buddy's shoes. My mind was still on the beach. (laughs) Never mind, never mind. Uh, No time to head back now. Onwards to Marcus. The beach in question is very, very near Catherine's house. It's not exactly
3: a beachfront property, but it's bloody close. And owning a house here, or at least in true millennial nature, renting one, has long been on Catherine's list of aspirations. She spent the morning walking along its shoreline in the not-yet-summer breeze until she realised she was running late for a rather professionally important breakfast. The cafe in question is one of those. You know, the imitation Brooklyn coffee shop with its painfully authentic, unvarnished wooden interiors, perhaps sporting a barrel or something equally rustic to sit on, which have somehow snaked their way out of the cities where people are compelled to pay more for their coffee in exchange for forgetting, just for one second, the ghastly concrete world that surrounds them, and into the towns where customers ought to be immune to the hypnotic charms of blackboards and earth tones. Nevertheless, here it is. Foam Party, in the middle of Cromer, the archetypal East Anglian coastal town. And within the walls of Foam Party waits Detective Inspector Marcus Thompson, an old friend and a useful contact for a crime reporter to have. Catherine has to elbow her way through a crowd of young professionals busy fueling themselves up for daily grind. She almost bowls over a young blonde boy on her way to Marcus's table.
2: Oh, uh, sorry
3: about that, I I didn't see you. But the blonde boy and his green eyes are gone. More importantly, in the
2: corner... There is Marcus. Hi, Kate. Okay. Hi, Marcus. Are you ordered? Oh, just for myself. Well, I'll take care of me later. I'm sorry to keep you waiting. I had a, a silly morning. No silly. Oh, just memories. Useless. It got me distracted and late, for which I am profoundly sorry.
0: Oh, apology accepted. I'm not exactly under the clock.
2: Well, I rather am. Perhaps. I, I don't know. I'm still, better to work as if you've got a deadline. So, well,
0: what have you got for me? Well, it's good to see you too. <laughs> Marcus. No, no, no. I'm just belly aching. Ah, oh, right. This is Harry Fitzpatrick, 11 years old, last seen three days ago in the grasslands near Cromer Beach. Have a look at that photo. Hmm.
2: Hmm. I'm assuming you've checked the waters? Oh, yeah.
0: Nothing. And his mother says he was no kind of a swimmer anyway and hated the water. But that's not the strange thing.
2: He looks so familiar.
0: I said, that's not the strange thing. Usually for a journalist, that's your cue to look interested.
2: Sorry, yes. Uh, oh... Is there a strange thing? Oh,
0: indeed, Miss Aronson. Harry's mum tells me that in the days and weeks before he vanished, he'd been more and more withdrawn, not being able to meet her eye. He asked her once or twice how much she loved him and things like that, and he asked her what about him she loved. He also said there was something he needed to tell her, And when she asked what it was, he dropped it and refused to keep speaking.
2: So you're saying foul play? I'm saying we
0: haven't ruled anything out. It's just normally missing children don't behave as if they know they're about to go missing for nearly three weeks beforehand.
2: No, they don't.
0: You reckon there's a story?
2: Maybe. Not sure. Hang on. Marcus. Mm -hmm. I know where I've seen that face before. What? Harry, I've seen him before. Huh? When? Uh, Just now. It, In this cafe. What? I... He was there. By the entrance, I... I'm certain. You're sure? I... well, I I think so. I mean, same blonde hair, same green eyes.
0: I I can't see anyone. Uh, Still, uh, serious and bizarre. Listen, Kate, I've got to go. If he's here, we need to call in some officers to patrol the local area, and I might need to get you to give a statement at some point. Call me. You'll be at home?
2: At the office. I'm going to have a look into Harry Fitzpatrick. Um, acquaint myself.
3: There was something else about Harry Fitzpatrick that Catherine hadn't shared with Marcus. "'She'd barely even shared it with herself. "'Yes, the little boy she nearly walked over at the entrance to foam party "'was the spitting image of the lad in the photo, "'but that wasn't the only place she'd seen him before. "'Harry Fitzpatrick looked exactly like the child she'd once been, "'the boy everyone had told her she was. "'It was an absurd coincidence, especially with Cromer Beach. "'That beach was... "'But no, no, it was too much.' What was needed now was some good old-fashioned journalistic investigation. And so the fingers at the keyboard flew, and the uncanny similarities grew. First, yes, there was Cromer Beach. There was always Cromer Beach. But then there was more. Both of them had attended the Langley School. Both of them had grown up on Jubilee Lane. He at number six, and she at number nine. And the date of his disappearance, the 16th of May. That was the date. That was the date I
2: stood alone on Cromer Beach and realized I was trans. Maybe, maybe I'm being a fool. Uh, coincidences happen, and the art of reading into them is the art of slowly going mad. But this, this feels wrong. It feels weird. At Cromer Beach, when I was 11 years old, on May the 16th, I told myself who I was for the first time, and a part of me, or, well, rather the child that everyone thought they saw... Vanished. That's what happens. That's what it is to transition, at least to f- take the first step. And now, this boy, it wouldn't bother... It even wouldn't bother me that his name is so close to my dead name if he didn't fucking look like I did then. What the hell is this? Am I going mad? I... I feel the sand between my toes, but no matter how I dig, I can't convince myself I'm going to find anything good like this a lot with dad's little digs. He was always so excited to be fumbling around in the dirt and the sand but I was scared. I was always scared. We did something that we weren't meant to and then I don't know. I spent a lot of time trying to wash that feeling away. Time wasted apparently. Here I am. Square one. Hang on. What's Sat in the surf? Oh my god. Oh my god, that's that's a boys' t-shirt that's just washed ashore. This, uh, this audio diary will continue as soon as possible. I have to go now. I have to see this.
3: What Catherine saw was indeed a boys' t-shirt. It was simple enough, plain orange colour, with the words Boys Rock written below, in case anyone was worried about the gender alignment of the garment. Then again, boys' rock is technically a gender-neutral statement. Still, no mistaking who the T-shirt was intended to belong to. And Catherine, again, Catherine specifically could not mistake it. It was sodden through, drenched and faded, and had clearly been in the surf for a little while, no more than a few days, but that's not nothing. So it couldn't be the same one. It couldn't possibly be the same one. But it did look an awful lot. In fact, it looked exactly like the shirt that once belonged to
2: Henry Aronson.
3: The fog came in faster than any fog Catherine had ever seen in her entire life, and it came against the wind. And there, in the distance, clouded by the fog, stood a wee figure. He was difficult to make out in this suddenly bad weather, but it felt, just for a second it felt, like Catherine had seen on his head, blonde hair. She did not want to know if he had green eyes. She turned and she ran, and as she ran, across the sands of this beach where so many memories, so many ghosts walked with her, and down the streets where those ghosts used to live, the fog seemed to follow her all the way home. Catherine kept her eyes ahead of her. She kept her vision focused. If she didn't need to see where she was going, she would have closed them, anything to hold them back, to keep them in the past. But for all her efforts and determination with her vision, she she could not shut her ears. She could not close her ears to the nails-on-chalk voice, the scraping-on-bone voice, the half-forgotten anger and misremembered pain voice that blew into her ear.
2: Come on, come on, dammit, please, please,
0: please! Hi, this is Marcus. Can't come to the phone right now, but if you leave a message, I'll get back to you as soon as I can.
2: Marcus, is this real? I mean, I need you to be straight with me, okay? No funny business. Is Harry Fitzpatrick real? I need to know. I know, this might sound crazy, and... I mean, I looked him up, he seems real to me, but... Marcus, I think he's me. I think... I, th- I think he's the boy I used to be, or that people said I was. I, I, I don't know. Do you believe in ghosts? I'm, I'm sorry, that came out of nowhere. I'm just... I'm scared, okay? I'm scared. Please, call me back. Do you you believe in ghosts? Talking to myself here, and I'm not sure I know the answer. I didn't think I did. I I never... I never really put much stock in ghost stories. They were never really my thing. But today, today has been the single weirdest, scariest day of my life, and it is barely 5pm. The sun hasn't even set yet. I just... One need not be a chamber to be haunted. One need not be a house. The brain has corridors surpassing material place, far safer of a midnight meeting at Ghost than its interior confronting... That cooler host, far safer through an abbey gallop. The stone's a chase, an unarmed one's a self-encounter in lonesome place. Ourself behind ourself, concealed, should startle most. Assassin hid in our apartment, be horror's least. The body borrows a revolver. He bolts the door. Oh, looking, a superior specter, or more... I am so, so tired of having to every single day define myself against the ghosts. I'm so tired of having to close the doors and perform the fucking rituals and and every single fucking day that goes by I push those ghosts and even the defiance of them that just, that little bit further away because I just want to be a fucking human being. I just wanted to be the kid I knew I was. Not the lie they printed on the birth certificate. Tragically, it is always when we are at our
3: weakest, when the doors to our souls are the widest open that the ghosts can make their way in. And so, as Catherine sat, crying on her kitchen floor, and she raised her eyes ever so slightly, she saw something she did not expect.
2: I didn't... Put a
3: fucking mirror there? But it was there, and it was not alone. As she rose to her feet, every wall in her house had changed. Every wall was gazing back at her with her own eyes. Every wall was a mirror, and in all of them, she had been crying.
2: Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. What is this? And then she saw him.
3: Harry Fitzpatrick, or the child that he looked like, was gazing back at her from the mirror at the other end of her hall, and when Catherine lowered her gaze from his sandy blonde hair to look into those piercing green eyes, she saw nothing. There were no eyes, mere chasms of blackness, deeper and more colossally, staggeringly empty than any abyss.
2: Who are you? What do you want? Are you... Harry? Is your name Harry Fitzpatrick? Do you want to go home? Do you want me to help you go home? I. I could do that. I could call your mum. Are you Harry? Is your name Harry Fitzpatrick? Is your name. Henry Erickson?
3: At that, the boy stepped through the mirror and marched down the corridor towards Catherine. She turned and fled and fell, crawling. Catherine felt the boy advancing on her. He was moving faster than she thought possible. She didn't dare look up. She couldn't possibly look up. She looked up, and darkness stole the face of Catherine Aronson. And darkness kept her evermore.
0: Wait, w- wait, that's it? No, for real, surely that's it?
3: Did you want me to announce the fact? Yell out, the end, so that the entire establishment can hear it. Yes, that's it.
0: But what happened?
3: Exactly what I said.
1: So, is she dead? Mm. So she's alive? Mm. So what, she's a ghost now? Mm. <laughs> I don't believe this. You keep going on about a profound terror. About the greater depths of fear. And you give us a blanket with an eye infection and the nothing from the never-ending story. I'm out. There ain't enough booze in the world. I need a smoke.
0: I, uh, I think I'll join you. Sorry, Cheryl. No reflection on your story. It was good. Real good. I just, um, need a moment's night air. You're really not gonna tell us what happened? Adam...
3: Have you ever heard of the death of the author?
0: You mean how you died? Sure, we all know that story. First there was the tribe of Capuchin monkeys, then... uh... No, no,
3: dear. The literary theory. It was proposed by Roland Barthes. It's been taken in many ways by many folks. But the definition I think is most pertinent now is this. The story is what it is. No more. There are no secrets beyond the edges of what I told you. Everything is there. What that means is something you have to define for yourself. Huh. You follow?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, surely. Yes, dear. It was a good story. But it made me sad.
3: Well, I suppose good stories can do that.
0: Yeah. Listen, I'm I'm gonna go catch up with Vlad and Wolfie for a sec. I'll um I'll be back.
2: Why her? Excuse me. Why Catherine Aronson? Why that story? Ah, well, you know
3: my thinking on this, Annie. I've said we're all haunted, and I believe it. Cradle to grave, every human being carries their ghost with them. We might lose a few along the way, but for the most part, they just accumulate. And some people accumulate more than others. I've always felt that, if we're going to be honest about the purpose of this endeavour, if it's going to truly be the reflection and thus the exorcism of fear that we pretend it is, we ought to reflect the reality of whose ghosts weigh the strongest. It's only fair.
2: You know, when I was queen, oh, that was many years ago. Did you know we didn't have a binary? Really? Oh, yes. Egypt had many alternate gender categories. Mut and Sekhmet, the goddesses, you know. They were intersex. And we have more than one story about cross-dressing, or about being transgender, or all the rest of it. It breaks my heart to see that history, those lives forgotten, to have the whole world pretend that this is no way to be. Yes, it's cruel. And so is your story. No disrespect. It was good, but it is cruel. I suppose that's the nature of the genre. Still, I don't know. With this one, I would have liked a happy ending. Are you sure you don't know what happened to Catherine after the darkness took her? I'm afraid I really don't. Hmm, pity. But I suppose I could guess. (laughs) Please, please, stay away. You've stopped. I'm sorry, I... I I can't look at you, I just can't. Henry, Harry, I... I'm sorry, please. Please don't hurt me. I'm really scared. You're not moving, huh? Are you? Are you scared too? Oh, you're eleven years old. Of course you're scared. You're scared all the time, aren't you? You're terrified. You're terrified of what you know about yourself and and of what you know about everyone else that that you're different. And you're different in a way in in a way that they'll just never understand. Am I right? I'm right, aren't I? Oh, I'm so sorry, sweetheart. I'm so sorry. I know how scared you are. I was that scared, too. For a long, long time, I was that scared. But I promise, you don't have to be scared
3: anymore. Slowly, like she was moving underwater, Catherine turned her head to look at the child in her hallway. There, standing a meter away from her, tears running down the rosy cheeks from those bright green eyes, stood the child they called... Harry Fitzpatrick, wearing a beautiful orange
2: dress. Come here, sweetheart. Let me hug you. It's all going to be okay.
0: The scary
2: stories struggle on, growing very moribund. They toy with death, they play with life, they cause everlasting
0: strife. In this newest
2: gross display,
0: with someone's soul someone they chose to play. This can cannot go on, he thinks.
2: The time has come to end their drinks, to dim their banter
0: and a good cheer, The close of almost
2: here. Beware then, Tantalus, still your joy. Here comes the listener
3: in the void. Tales from the Tombstone Tavern is written and edited by Delmar Tablanch, directed by Jamie Boucher, and produced by me, Amina Hamid. It starred Dalmar Tablanch de as the narrator and Adam, Joshua Manning as Vlad Dracul, Anna Chedham-Cooper as Lady Shirley Edith James, Percival Fagent as Wolfgang the Wolfman, and Senna Brier as Queen Ankh-Essenamon, with original music by Sideris and Sword Coast Soundscapes. Thanks to Arts Council England for their support.